Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that loves nothing more than a great business. I'm Motley Fool Chief Investment Officer Scott Phillips, and I'm joined by the founder and managing director of Strawman.com, Mr. Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very well, sir. How are you? Mate, I'm exceptionally well. We are pre-recording this episode, and this is... I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I really, really enjoyed last week's episode. I hope our listeners did too. Uh, if they're turned off in droves, I haven't realised yet because I'm still on holidays. But uh, we just I, I really enjoy getting to, as you do, I know, getting to the nub of what makes some businesses great. Mm. And we actually probably will do a third one at some point where we kind of wrap all this together because I'm mindful during the first episode, and we'll go through those in a second. We'll, we'll reintroduce it for those who haven't haven't been here uh, for the first one. But you kind of come, went, well, great business, but I wouldn't necessarily invest in it. And it's kind of like that's that's almost the point, right? Is the 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 art is absolutely an understanding and putting together what makes businesses great. But then there's that kind of that art bit of kind of like, well, how do they all kind of go together? And where does valuation count? What does the future look like? And it's it's interesting that individually we can still say, yep, like that thing about that business, still wouldn't buy it, even if it's the one that epitomizes that particular trait, yeah. wouldn't necessarily buy it. And it's kind of on one hand. It's a big deal. It's like, well, but how's that possible? It mm. is that kind of magic brew of, you know, a pitch of this and a, and a dose of that and a cup of this and a, you know, whatever. And and that's that is the art of of investing, which does defy a bit of the logic. We get asked so regularly, you know, how do you pick a stock? It's like, well, it depends. Is almost always the story, right? Because <laughs> you could describe some traits that a business has got. Someone will say, yeah, yeah, that business there's got exactly the same ones, and you kind of go, yeah, it does but I wouldn't buy it. So why not? So, well, and there's another rabbit hole, right? You kind of, the more we do this, the, the harder it is. And you've said before, and you're absolutely right, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. And if everyone did it and everyone did it well, there'd be an opportunity in investing. And that's yep. the paradox of this whole palaver, right? Is to get it out performance, you've got to be able to bring something to the table that not everyone can just simply copy. I, I, I would, um, uh, just just a bit of nuance too. We're sort of talking about what makes a great business. I, mm. I'd actually go as far to say that there are very few great businesses. Just yeah, to be that's a little, nice point too. little bit of con- controversy there. The, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, there are some really great characteristics yes. and the more more of those you have, yes. the, the, yes. the greater the business. Yes. But, you know, one of the examples in the first one was was Telstra in terms yep. of you, you were talking about brand. It's like, well, it, a very recognisable brand. We can talk about if, if we're just in isolation. Yeah. Talking about that, then yes, but but as to your point, there are so many other things that, for me yeah. at least, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't touch it. So it's it's kind yeah. of, it is hard. We we feel it. It sounds a bit like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, it's easy. All you have to do is this, but if you just do that, it's not easy enough. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but it, it, they're they're all they're all. I mean. <laughs> This is the hard thing about investing is, is you have to take this holistic view and there's no such thing as a perfect business. Even if yeah. we were to go away and think of, well, what's the best business on planet Earth, you know, yeah. and yeah. maybe it's like an apple or something like that. We, we can still easily, easily go and find half a dozen things that we don't like about yeah. it. So I often think about it as so you sort of get that that piece of paper, draw a line down the middle and you have the pros and cons. <laughs> and so you, yeah. you never have anything where it's all pros. Yeah, yeah. But if you get something where the scales tip more favourably and the more favourably they tip towards the pros and the better the business you've got. So it isn't, it isn't a black and white thing. It's not, not like us to start with a tangent, mate, but before we do, it, it, it's worth, with uh, you to the main topic of the conversation, it's also worth, I, I, you said something and I want to try and tease it apart and get your thoughts. You said that's why investing is hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the other view just to be presenting mm-hmm. for the fun of it. Investing is easy. Beating the market is hard. 
Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, and I, I, wanna, mm. I wanted to make that point. Maybe you disagree, by the way. So if you do, let me know. No, um, not at all. But I want to make that point for our listeners because investing is really, really, really not that hard. There are ETFs, there are discount brokers, there are, you know, you can regularly put your money in your account. I mean, that's what superannuation does, right? How hard is super? It's really, really not. You let your employer put some money aside for you every single month or quarter and at 67, 65, you go, thanks, that was great. Mm. That, that's as hard as investing needs to be. What is hard for me is beating the market, stock picking, company mm. analysis. That's where it's hard. And I, and I it, it's, it's the same thing. But it's also really, really, really different. I just want to draw that out because we've spent a bit of time last week. I know we talked about, um, oh, the week before now, uh, we talked about, you know, look, if you, if you find out stock picking hard or you don't want to do it, it's too stressful, don't. Just buy an ETF. That's completely great. And you'll do really, yeah. really well. That's, that's really easy. Um, to some degree, relatively speaking, stock picking is harder now than it used to be because ETFs are so easy. You know, back yeah. in the day when you didn't have a choice, you either paid a fortune or a fund manager or you did it yourself. So which, which of those two evils would I like to choose? Not mm. there's not the great fund managers, but you know, there were, it, it, was a, it was a really difficult thing to kind of go, okay, well, do I want to give up that sort of return or do I want to you know, try and do it myself and maybe get it right, maybe get it wrong, stress, whatever. These yeah. days, the, the, you know, the old Tony Blair third way is like just regularly dollar cost average an ETF and go fishing. And that, so that's, mm-hmm. to my mind, investing is really, really easy these days if you do it simply like that. Yep. Beating the market is hard. We're super worthwhile, but not easy. The, the analogy I usually give is, is um, with sort of personal health and fitness. So if you're someone who enjoys a, the occasional Tim Tam after dinner or something like that, but, you know, generally you avoid smoking, you don't drink too much, uh, yeah. you go for a bit of a walk, you, you can... Being, being healthy isn't isn't complicated. Now, do you want to be someone who takes it super seriously, goes mm, to the mm. gym five days a week, doesn't eat anything except, you know, uh, tuna and, and salad and this this kind of stuff? It's like you, yeah. you, can, you can push that all the way to the extreme, but the benefits of just doing the basic things right are phenomenal. I think that's the same with investing. So you can really dive into this stuff if you, mm. if you really want to. Mm. Um, but even if you just do a few of the big things, it's just it's such a it's such a phenomenal improvement. The other thing I would say too about beating the market, I think you also need to put that in the context with the work that's involved. Mm. I would I would argue that let's say you're the kind of person who spends forty hours, you're a full time investor, and you spend forty hours, fifty hours a week just doing nothing other than that, mm. and at the end of days you look back and you say I beat the market by two percent per annum. Now that's that's a great result. Um, does it justify the work when someone else <laughs> right. who could have just, yeah. you know, gotten a job, a very reliable paycheck, maybe, uh, maybe gotten 2% less, but yeah, still done yeah. incredibly, incredibly well. So it's kind of, it's almost sort of like the output per unit of work kind of matters <laughs> That's so true, as but well. Unless, really unless you, and, as I, and I, I say this too, it, 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 there's a lot of people who just inherently enjoy the process. You and I are those kinds of people, yeah, yeah. which is different, right? Because it doesn't feel like work. It feels like play and yeah, and yeah. that's that's a different story. But if it's something that's a hard slog and you're really having to work hard at it mm. and you're only getting one or two extra sort of percent, yeah, I guess yep, that, that, does, that definitely adds up. But you've got to, there's a trade-off there with, with, your, with your time and your stress and your focus and all the rest of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> just, just to complicate matters a little bit further. So, so true, mate. And, and it's, you, know, the, I think, you know, the other thing that makes it play, by the way, is that you and I know the maths of this, that if we do it regular, if, if we invest enough money regularly enough for long enough, you can even afford to lose to the market and still do really well. Yeah. You know, I kind of, like, to, to my mind, I think, you know, if it was fun, like it's fun, you know, you and I love business analysis. We love the idea of investing in the challenge. Like, it's fun. It's great. But I also think, honestly, if, if, if I knew that every day I had to make that decision, that decision was not exactly life and death, but pretty close financially. 
Mm. I think it'd be less fun. You know, there, yeah. there is something to simply just knowing un- underlying this all. If I beat the market by a couple of points, I'm going to do really, really well. If I do all this work and still match the market, I'm going to do very, very well and I'm going to have to have fun. If I do all this work, lose a bit to the market, go, well, that kind of sucks, but I really enjoy doing it because it's a hobby, Mm. that's still great because I'm still going to end up with a lot of money because the sheer benefits of regular investing and compounding and time will do that work. Yeah. If it was was kind of like, if I do it myself and screw it up, I'm really going to go to financial hell. I don't don't think it'd be as much fun. So there is something to, again, just that, that bottom line of kind of like investing is easy and done well enough for long enough, even if you underperform the market. You know, if, if, you're, if you're an 18-year-old now, you can underperform the market by two percentage points a year and still retire a millionaire, as yeah. long as you put enough of your salary aside. And not, it's not even difficult because yeah. of the sheer time you've got. So there's that as well. Yeah. Hey, um, let's get back to the point of the episode because, you know, we <laughs> like to do that occasionally. Last week, we spoke about eight of the 16 traits of great businesses, or maybe you should say great traits of businesses. Maybe to your point, Andrew, I thank you for um, completely undermining the entire point of this two-part episode. <laughs> um, but uh, we talked about competitive advantages, which were kind of an umbrella group that we then went to a little bit more detail on with things like network effects. We talked about predictability of the business. And at some point, cyclical businesses are really hard to invest in. Volatile businesses can be hard to predict by definition almost, and therefore investing. So predictability matters. Switching costs, or Andrew's famous trapdoor moat. Uh, have a listen to the episode if you want a bit more on that. Gross margin, marginal profitability, customer concentration, and major partner dependency. So those things are all kind of, um, they're, they're eight of the 16 in no particular order, certainly not saying one to eight, and certainly not necessarily even better than the next eight. There's eight that were come up with by a group of fools in the US, including our global chief investment officer, Andy Cross. I took the um, stole it from him, uh, and I'm shamelessly using it here because it's, it's a useful conversation. We're going to go through the next eight and try and pick a business that epitomizes those. And as we said last week, as we've already started by saying, we're not saying these businesses are investment worthy or you should buy them right now because they hit the top marks for these traits. Um, just that we think if you think about these as examples of these traits, it helps you identify them. And if you can find as many of these and put them together as you can, the more you can find, uh, price obviously matters as well, the more I think almost statistically likely, I haven't done the maths, uh, but if you can find a business with more of these than less, I think your investment opportunity, your, your risk of uh, underperformance goes down, your your risk of outperformance goes up in my, in my view. All right, yep. number nine is organic demand. Now, it's one thing to have to go out there and beat the drum and beat the drum and beat the drum and market and spend and, you know, pop up ads. And, you know, there are businesses out there that spend millions and millions and millions of dollars a year trying to make sure you know who they are and will you please, please, please buy what I'm selling. I'm going to say to you, Andrew, despite the fact we do this podcast, despite the fact our listeners are people who just know that this is true, one of our, my old boss, your old boss, Bruce Jackson, would say no one wakes up in the morning wanting to buy an investment newsletter. (laughs) <laughs> and we've just gone through why investing is so bloody attractive and yet there's an, organic, there's an organic desire for wealth. There is not much organic desire, organic demand for the Motley Fool suite of newsletters. You've got to go out and say to people, hey, you kind of like, the, we, we can help you actually make some money over here. Like, you know, I know your life's busy and I know you've got other things you want to spend your money on, but help me help you here. Uh, and we think, I think we do it pretty well, but that's, that's me being biased. We don't have a really strong amount of organic demand. No one's knocking on our door saying, can I please, please, please buy your newsletter? Mm. But some businesses do have that organic demand, whether they are products and services that we need instinctively or just desire almost by definition. Some companies just have that thing of, hey, people are going to use your business, just get in their way, do a good job. What sort of businesses do you think epitomise the concept of organic demand? Yeah. Uh, geez, that's, that is a hard one. Um, do you want me to go first? 
No, I'll, look, okay. I'll, I'll throw Altium out there. Oh, um, interesting one. Yeah. So the, these guys have software that allows people to design PCBs, printed circuit boards. So, right. you know, the little green plastic things with lots of silicon and wires and that, you know, sort of like the uh, the brains of any silicon sort of- chips. Yeah. Silicon, yeah, sort of, well, the silicon chips go in the PCBs and, and all yeah, the rest right, around right, it. Right. There's a lot of design for that kind of stuff. It's kind of become really the sort of best in breed around the world. So people- mm-hmm who are in that space kind of tend to know it and use mm. it and prefer it. And it's just wonderful because it means you don't have to spend huge amounts on marketing. Mm. And uh, that just means far, far better margins. When people knock on your door saying, hey, can I buy your product rather than you having to sort of push push their nose into it. <laughs> that's right. It's a really wonderful thing. And Altium has just done so incredibly well. I think that's, a, I think that's um, a, a pretty reasonable example on the ASX. Yeah, really good one. But I'm going to go with a very different business. I'm going to go with Transurban. Oh, yeah. Um, It's a business that, you know, again, it's not necessarily build it and they will come, but it's not miles away, right? Because you don't have to use their freeways. Now, it may be alleged that state governments make things so that uh, (laughs) you are inclined to use their freeways or motorways, I should say, because they're not free. Um, But, (laughs) uh, you know, there is is almost always another way you can get to wherever you're going rather than pay Transurban for the privilege. But if you build a really long, nice, straight, fast road through the middle of somewhere and say, you don't have to use it, but it's here if you want to, and people willingly give you their toll to go down that road. Uh, again, it might be solving a problem. Uh, the alternative might be terrible. Maybe they just maybe there's benefit because they're not as bad as something else. But that's enough. That's something that you very very rarely see a sign saying, "Hey, come and use the M5 in Sydney, or come and use the uh, Clem Jones Tunnel in um, in Brisbane, or come and use the you know uh, CityLink in in Melbourne." Uh, you either do or you don't. And yes, you have to know it's there. But uh, getting somewhere quick and being paid, being prepared to pay a little bit for it is not a bad example of organic demand. Yeah, it's a good Mate, example. Um, I like it. This one's, a, this one's a hyper trait in my mind, um, but not necessarily as uh, – it's both It's both obvious and like, yeah, do, of course you need it, but you don't necessarily need it. It's, again, as one of those traits that is super vital for some, not particularly important for others, so it's always useful, and that is growth. And mm. you kind of go, well, do, of course, you know, that the, the old line, if you're not growing, you're dying. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that's a – uh, reflective of the person who says it more than the, the trait necessarily. There are some really good investments for businesses that have been stable for years if you buy them cheap enough. Um, they're not necessarily terrible businesses so they don't grow. They've just saturated their market. I, I mentioned Coca-Cola Amitol last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fantastic brand, have done a wonderful job. They're, they're rest, not resting the laurels, but they are reaping the benefits of 80 years of, of market growth to the point where they are so stupidly dominant. Uh, do they need to be, does Coke need to grow to be great? No. Is it nice if it does? Of course it is. In some cases, they make growth is the oxygen that allows businesses to thrive. Small or medium-sized businesses who have visions are important. But more to the point, as an investor, if you can find a company that's growing, that's often a really massive opportunity for outperformance because historically, some of the best and, and best growth businesses in the world, and, and I don't love the phrase growth businesses. I, again, I don't like the value growth difference, but um, it, it, market tends to undervalue long-term compound growth. Just has mm. been true for what 30, 40 years, I suppose, mate. Certainly, mm. the time we've been doing it. Think about some of the great businesses uh, that have, you know, even, even you know, again, you mentioned Apple before, Amazon. I own shares in Amazon. Um, the, you know, its ability to grow for 25 years plus and continue to grow at massive double digit rates. Um, is it great because it's growing? Yes. Is it great because it's great? Yes. But is there a great investment opportunity because market undervalues that? Also, yes. So I think this is one of those superpower ones. It's not the only way to invest. It's certainly not. Um, you don't need it for every company to be successful. But if you can find a, a really strong long-term growth story, 
that's a really good opportunity, I think, to make a huge difference. What's uh, what's an example of, for you, mate, of a of a great company that uses growth as kind of its that that's the epitome of 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 greatness for that particular business? Can I just add a little bit of oh, please. colour to it, as the analysts oh, would say? Love it, mate. You get a job in the you get a job in the business in no time. Love a bit of colour. Um, there's growth and then there's growth. There's an old saying of, of beware you don't grow yourself broke. And, <laughs> yes. And the, yeah. it, so what I'm talking about here is, and there's a lot of examples, particularly in, in some of the um, software uh, companies, yeah. where the yeah. top line is growing at eye-watering rates, like just yeah. phenomenal. Like, uh, But at the same time, their, their losses are increasing year on year on year. This kind of comes back to this sort of um, – uh, ability of to to grow organically versus mm. ones where you really have to spend more and more and more on sales and marketing, mm. where you have to bring on more and more fixed costs to support all of your growth. So it's kind of like it's it, for a while there, up until quite recently, mm. in fact, the market seemed quite oblivious to the second <laughs> part of the equation, and and a lot of these SaaS companies were just attracting astronomical valuations because <laughs> the the revenue yeah. line, the sales line, was just growing so strongly. Mm. And then really, I guess in the last six months, perhaps, the market's sort of gone, wait a second, is this actually ever going to generate any profit and cash flow for shareholders? Because while we see that you're growing really incredibly uh, sales-wise, I mean, there's there's no no cash coming through. Uh, There's more cash going out the door than is going in the door. And that's actually a perfectly sensible thing as long as you're confident mm-hmm. that you can, you can pivot from that. You know, maybe it's a, it's the proverbial land grab. You know, there's yeah. a there's a new there's a new uh, industry opening up. We just we need to do whatever we can. This was the story of of uh, Uber and a lot of these other ones, right? So just just mm-hmm. get out there, run uh, uneconomically. Once we've captured the market, then we can then we can sort of uh, pivot to sort of profitability. Yeah. So a good example here is potentially Dubber. So these guys do call. Rec- Call recording and stuff. So their yep. revenues uh, last year, FY twenty one, was twenty million dollars. Year before it was less than ten. The year before it was mm. less than five, and the year mm. before it was like less than two. So it's doubled. It's doubled, and it's doubled. It's it's uh, it's literally exponential sales growth. Mm. Mm. But they're losing more today than they ever <laughs> have before. Yeah. Now there, look. I don't want to get into the weeds of Dubber. There's, there's there might be some very good reasons for that. But that's that's just something something to look out for. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, the example I want to give is 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 one that I I um I gave last week, so it's probably not original. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with it again. It's, it's, it's Prometicus, which is this okay. medical imaging software. Yep. Because what they have done is that they have not only seen this astronomical growth in sales, but their net margins, the profit, the amount of dollar in profit they capture for um, per unit of sales has increased as well. Mm, mm. Uh, that is a very rare thing. And the, the real, the, the, there's sort of two ways to sort of get this kind of growth. One is, mm. is that you just manage to, to become the more relevant player in the sector and there's just, you just gobble up heaps and heaps of market share. That's tough. That is really tough because the incumbents have all kinds of advantages. A lot of the advantages that we're sort of talking about in these two episodes um, but it happens. It does happen. Mm. The other one, and the one that I really like, is when there's a structural change within the industry. There's just a yeah. new way of doing yeah. things. It just didn't exist before. Mm. So the market is actually brand new. And 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 when the addressable market opportunity is large enough and you've got some pretty good momentum and perhaps a first mover advantage and some other things like that, the growth there can last for a long, 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 long time. Now, you mentioned Amazon. That, that's mm-hmm. that's the story of Amazon. The, what it does 
is raison d'etre mm-hmm. uh, just really wasn't a thing, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, now it is. So I really look for those kinds of things where it's just sort of like um, huge market potential to grow into. It's just clear water as far as the eye can see. No one else is in there. And it's actually it actually makes it a bit easier because in those kinds of dynamics, you can actually have a few players all doing really well because because the, the, it, the, the market share might not actually change. Maybe you've only got 10% of the market and you have 10% of the market in 20 years' time. But the pie has grown so much <laughs> that you've, you've done really well. And the other nice thing about growth is is that it just means that the the you can be less fussy with what you pay when the growth yes. is significant enough. It's that, worth yeah. remembering that you can do really really well. There's plenty of most businesses, you know, most small businesses don't grow. You might have a, a own the local cafe and and perhaps you're selling, uh, making as much money, you know, adjusted for inflation today as you were ten years ago. That could still be a phenomenal business. Mm. Um, uh, but it's not something that you would pay a multiple of fifty times earnings for, because you'll 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 never you'll you know to, for you to to make whole on your investment will take well fifty years. <laughs> um, uh, but if you're paying two times earnings, you sort of recouped your investment in two years, and the rest is gravy after that. So growth isn't everything. Um, and I know you're not saying that, but geez, it's really nice when you've got it because it, 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 that's when you get really substantial returns and that's where you can sort of tend to pay what above average sort of rates and still do extremely well. Yeah, I've said before, growth covers a multitude of valuation sins. If you're buying something that's not growing, you better get the price right Yeah, because the range of outcomes is so small that if you don't pay the right price, you're never going to make it back. Yeah, if you pay, you could have paid four, five, six times too much for Amazon twenty years ago, and you made a squillion dollars, right? So there is there is something about um, there's something about that, as you say, mate, the, the the growth thing. I think, and you're exactly right. Um, another, another phrase I, I I use a little bit redundant in its construction, but I say companies that are more relevant to more people more often. Mm. So more relevant, you, you you solve more of their problems. To more people, you grow your market size or your your customer base. More often, you get them to come back to you and do things with them, uh, with you more more frequently, right? So you're you're a solution, you're the solution. Um, that's a it's a massive combination. If you can get that right, you're in a pretty good place. I, I, I'm not going to say this is the answer, by the way, but a business like Flight Center, uh, very very difficult to draw a straight line through it because of COVID, of course, mm. but. Flight Center has been on the on death's door, according to most analysts, for the last, well, literally almost as long as Amazon's been alive, right? Because the internet was the same thing. Mm. And yet Flight Center, every single year, with the, maybe one or two exceptions, grew customer count. Mm. Most of the time it grew revenue. Occasionally there were some issues with um, with with the airlines, uh, commissions and stuff. And that was a bit bumpy. But the, the idea was basically that through that period, they were still bringing in more people who were shopping more frequently and spending more money with them. And you kind of go, okay, well, for all of that, you know, and this is where, as analysts, we can get a little bit too clever with ourselves. It's a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, there are people who look at a business and say, well, no, that, that, that can't be right because, you know, it's the old economist joke where the two economists walk down the street and they walk past a $20 note and one says, the other, well, if it was really there, someone would have picked it up by now. Mm-hmm. So they keep walking, right? Mm-hmm. The same is kind of true with, with analysts sometimes. We say, oh, no, our flight's out of car possibly. No, no, the internet's going to destroy. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. That was said in 95 and 2000, 2005, 2010. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes you've got to go, the, the, the company and the customers are telling something very different. So however smart I think I am about why this can't possibly happen, well, you can explain it away, but if it's there, it's there, right? It's actually really happening. So, so growth, growth does matter. 
Um, to your point about Dubber, mate, this is this is, and I'm not going to go here either. And I'll mention Kogan again just for the fun of it. I'll have a drink. Um, <laughs> you know, for all of Kogan's bottom line troubles, they are continuing to grow the top line. And my my faith in that case, for what it's worth, is simply a matter of hey, either they really do screw this up, which is very very possible. I say almost every time we talk about it. Mm. But if they don't, they're growing customers, they're growing sales, they're growing gross margins at really really fast rates, and so. Unless there is literally never going to be a business model that makes that profitable, so be it. But if they can get to one, then two, then three, then five, then $10 billion worth of sales, you know, it seems almost likely to me that that relevance and that growth delivers something. And that's what I mean about the growth thing being useful for those growth companies. So you don't need it for everything, um, but it's, it's important. By the way, it's also true. Some of these traits actually can sometimes can contradict each other and that's okay too because they're not, <laughs> they're not a universal set. Um, so yeah, I think, I, think that's, I think that's really important. Yeah, it's also the longevity of growth that matters a lot too. Yes, exactly. So if well, you and I had, growth, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. If you you and I had a, a little business making hand sanitizer in 2019, <laughs> right. there was a market for yeah. that. Yeah, you know, um, yep. we may be selling a certain number of units. We're, we're very yeah. happy, and then a global pandemic hits, and then our sales just quadruple. Yeah, you know, or, or whatever it is, 10x. But but that isn't sustainable, mm-hmm. right? Like that that was yep. never yep. going to be the case long mm-hmm. term. Even if the pandemic continues, because yeah, right. just gonna, a whole bunch of other people are going to start doing yeah. it because there's there's no competitive advantage in that in that business. Mm-hmm. So you will this is it lures a lot of people in, and a lot of money gets lost on the markets where you will see a business that maybe it's had two, three, four years of really strong growth, mm. and we have this the market has this tendency to extrapolate that out into infinity, <laughs> and it so it's yes. Tick growth, as you say, really nice to see. That's great, but the the more important question is, well, what's that? What's that look like out into the future? Is that something that's going to plateau at a certain point, or perhaps reverse direction in a certain point? So you've really got to have a, what you really want is sustainable growth mm-hmm. at an attractive rate. That's much more rare and much more difficult to find. Love it. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, use an example of a company I own. We've talked about on and off. Uh, I've owned it for a very long time. It's a long-time recommendation. It's corporate travel management. Mm-hmm. I'm, going to, I'm going to mention it for two reasons. One is because, frankly, in the last 80 months, there has been no growth. And so you can't just look backwards and say, hey, it's not growing, therefore it's a terrible investment. It might be, um, yeah. but it might not be. And by the way, the shares went from five back to 20 while growth went backwards. Um, so just be careful when you try and line up one for one, the, the environment and the results and the share price. But also too, because there's two ways of getting that growth. And you kind of alluded to it, Andrew. Um, Corporate has done a really, really, really good job of growing organically and growing by acquisition and both at the same time. Mm. And neither is necessarily, neither is better or worse. One's not necessarily better or worse than the other, though I would say organic growth is better if you can get it. Uh, it's normally cheaper. It's normally less risky. You're not, you're not spending, you know, hundreds, tens, millions of dollars buying something hoping that you can turn that into even more money and value for shareholders. But they've been able to grow, I want to say the best part of 20 years, almost year in, year out, uh, doing doing a good job of both, and it's just a nice example of the sort of the, the other thing about growth is it is it fractionalizes your costs and can really move your profit meaningfully. So a little bit of growth on a fixed cost base or relatively fixed cost base um, can really turbocharge profit. And that's been the corporate travel story over the last sort of fifteen or twenty years or so. I've got one more thing to mention before we move Please. on. And what what really matters for us as shareholders is growth on a per share basis. Yes, correct. So so what I can do. Is and this happens a lot. You, you'll find you'll find companies whose not only the sales to my earlier point, but also their profits have, have mm-hmm. grown really, really well. 
But because that has been underpinned by a lot of capital raisings and a lot of issue of new mm. shares, mm. there's been a lot of dilution. So the growth there just really gets watered away. Now that's great for the business. It's great for the CEO <laughs> whose bonus is linked to the to the uh, operating yep. profit of the business. Yep. But if it's not on a per share basis, I actually don't get any benefit to that. If if profits double but the share count doubles, yeah. my earnings per share hasn't changed at all, and that's yes. the currency that I'm dealing in when I'm buying shares. So you need to see you, well. You don't need. You want to see growth, mm-hmm. but you really want to see growth on a per share basis. In yep. fact, that's why buybacks are potentially so attractive. I say potentially because this is <laughs> wading into another deep topic here. But uh, you know, if you if you if you're not growing, but you've got lots and lots of cash and your shares are at a very cheap, uh, objectively sort of cheap level, you can buy back those shares, mm-hmm. and you'll actually see the earnings per share figure grow, even though the business hasn't grown. So <laughs> there's a lot of sort of wheels within wheels there. But uh, yeah, make sure you're looking at a per share basis. Fantastic point. Thank you, mate. Um, let's move on to a different one. This is this is one that's a little bit um, – I'm not even sure even it's controversial anymore. It's one that we've done at The Motley Fool because this is a concept that we believe in as a business. Uh, our co-founder and chief rule breaker, co-chan, uh, David Gardner, is on the board of Conscious Capitalism. And it's a different way of looking at what's likely to make businesses successful. Now, if you're someone who is allergic to touchy-feely kind of, you know, feel-good stuff, you may want to fast-forward the uh, the podcast three minutes or so. Uh, there was some research done by a couple of people, uh, including, by the way, John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, now part of Amazon for full disclosure, which I own shares in. Let's get that all out of the way. Uh, and they did some research and basically found that companies that took a broader perspective on what makes businesses great, not just the pursuit of higher shareholder value, which is in itself the uh, stated goal of most businesses and still the economic orthodoxy, they found that a different approach actually led to meaningful outperformance. And they said they called it conscious capitalism. Uh, and just very quickly, they they believe that conscious businesses that, that embody conscious capitalism have four guiding principles. Firstly, they have a higher purpose. They're trying to do something that is not just about maximizing profit. It might be making the world a better place. It might be serving their customers. It might be making beautiful machines, whatever those things are. Stakeholder orientation, which goes beyond shareholders. Uh, So think about customers, employees, suppliers, investors, uh, the environment, conscious leadership. Uh, So uh, if you've read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he talks about level five leadership, same kind of idea. So people who are there to to be servant leaders, to, to build... The, a business, build other people, not just kind of have all the, 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 the trappings of power and, and exert that power. And then a conscious culture. So a culture inside a business um, that is there, again, it's, it's, it's actually creating something of value and purpose and use rather than just, uh, the, you know, the, the kind of dog-eat-dog Darwinian exercise of, of trying to be financially successful. Now, if you, I said, if you're a happy, clappy kind of person, you're like, oh, I don't like this idea. What the hell are you talking about? Um, businesses like Whole Foods, Starbucks, uh, Trader Joe's in the US, um, plenty of businesses here in Australia as well have basically said, look, we, we want to be, we want to be responsible uh, capitalists. Good corporate and, citizens. Way, exactly. And by the way, as I said, it's also not, it's not just, not just airy fairy stuff. This, you know, they did the research and businesses that actually exhibited these traits tended to outperform others. Uh, so it's again, you can you can take your take your view on it. The broad idea here is if you are a force for good, you are likely to be successful in a whole lot of different ways. Uh, you are likely to. In, in, I think I think this is true. By the way, not exclusively. Again, I I, I don't. Uh, put, we don't have a set of rules at the Motley Fool. 
Some people will see this as ethical investing. I think it kind of can be seen that way, absolutely. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a different way of thinking about it. It's definitely for profit, by the way. This is not about not-for-profits. This is not about socialism or communism. This is about responsible capitalism, as you said, being good corporate citizens. Mm. So businesses that basically say, hey, we're in this together. We want to be known for more than just maximising profit because, by the way, if we do these things, we still will maximise profit as well as having a positive impact on the world. Um, that- so it's, it's, a, it's a, you call it what you want. You can, you can substitute some other framework here for this. And as I said, I'm not someone who believes in ethical investing per se. We know that Philip Morris has done very, very nicely. Thank you very much. Um, We know that with the exception of some uh, misdeeds over the past couple of years or so, allegedly, allegedly, uh, casino companies make a squillion dollars, bookmakers make a squillion dollars. It is very possible to make money uh, being a horrible, horrible business in it just for yourself and trying to screw other people. Uh, But generally speaking, those businesses that have created more for others um, back to Google's Don't Be Evil, for example. I own shares in Alphabet. Uh, I should try and find an example I don't own so I don't have to keep disclaiming the C's. But, uh, well, I yeah, guess when you're doing a, an episode on great businesses, you, you want to be mentioning a lot of companies you well, want, right? Otherwise, well, you, you need to have a look in the mirror. So <laughs> exactly. You really exactly. need to have a think about things. So, mate, your thoughts on conscious capital. Before I ask you for examples, your thoughts on conscious capitalism as a, as a concept? Yeah, I, I, actually, I actually think it's something worth focusing on for pure self-interest. Um, you know, it's not about doing good for the sake of doing good, although I'm yeah. a huge supporter of that. Yeah, yeah. I think it actually gives you a huge competitive advantage. One of the, one of the advantages is, is, you know, people feel better about it, so you probably yeah. get to a, attract a higher multiple. Tesla yeah. might be an example of that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a really good part, actually. But I think the big thing is, is that it helps you attract and retain really high-quality people, yeah. and any business – is pretty much only as good as the people that, that work there. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're working for the Klingon Empire or something, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't make you feel good in the. You know, it yeah. it, it, it it's it's it, it, you probably have pretty high churn. You know, it's sort of you get up in the morning. It's like, oh my god, what am I mm. doing here? Yeah, you know. But when you when you have a sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself that yeah. you're doing, it just it. it People will want to work there because, yeah. generally speaking, massive exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, people are are nice <laughs> and good <laughs> and want to do. You want to belong to something, right? That yeah. is that is that you feel as though that you're you're serving a purpose other than just putting mm-hmm. bread on the table here. Yeah. And and when you find companies with really exceptional cultures, you tend to get really exceptional results. So, mm-hmm. if you're going to be the kind of person who dismisses it as all hippie nonsense, then mm-hmm. just I would say forget all of that. Just do it for again pure self interest because they and they've done the research on it. Yes, you'll find exceptions, but statistically speaking, these businesses perform better for you, the shareholder. So yeah. pay attention to it. Look, look at Facebook. Look at what happened to Facebook. I mean, it, it has. I read on the weekend, um, someone did a survey of something of, of all the, the US stocks, and they've got one of the lowest rated brands out there because it's just seen as a horribly evil company. Um, now, let's not get into the debate of whether you think it is or not. I think it is. Um, but but, but it, it's having an impact, you know, and I'm, I'm sure when there's such a huge demand for, for, for great um, development talent and the rest of it. Yeah. So the kind of person who's already a millionaire having worked in Silicon Valley for the last 10 years, money's not going to be the main attractor there anymore. You want to sort of feel as though you're changing the world. Yeah. And, 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 and as I understand it, they've, they've, they've actually, there's been a consequence of that, not just from the employee side of things, but also how the market's looked at it as well. So be good. 
be good and make money. Best of both worlds. Pretty much, pretty much. I think that's uh, – uh, and you're, I mean, you're exactly right. There, there are those businesses out there who are well, – see, here's the thing. The, 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 the more – what's the right word? The more Darwinian a business is in all of its operations, frankly, the more fragile it is. If you think about Nis, uh, Nassim Taleb's anti-fragile, right? If you think mm. about people who are there only to maximise the pay they can get by their, bon- their bonuses, right? As soon as someone else offers a better bonus, they're gone. Or yeah. as soon as as soon as sales or profits start to fall away, they're gone because mm. that's what they're there for. Yeah. People who are going to tear each other down to get themselves a little bit further ahead it create a toxic culture where, again, it doesn't take much for the whole thing to just flame out and everyone leaves. Yeah. You want those businesses that are building sustainability, and I don't mean that in an environmental sense, though I do mean it in an environmental sense as well. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the self-reinforcing stuff, um, the cultures that you can build and create, um, the Motley Fool has more people in the HR team than the investing team. Now, I don't know how surprising otherwise that will be for our listeners, but um, the reality is that, you know, we, we are trying, this is not an ad for us, by the way, um, we, we do a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong. Um, but the, the very idea of that we're building, you know, the gardeners are trying to build a business that has all of that stuff in it that says, hey, let's actually be a business people want to work for. They're going to give their best. They're going to feel valued. They're going to, you know, it's, it, it is, it's, it's entirely selfish as well as being entirely mm. selfless at the same time because mm. these are the things that generate really great long-term returns. All right, let's get off the uh, the description. We've done enough of that. Um, do you have an example in mind of a business that that uh, personifies this sort of approach? I was I was hoping you were going to keep talking for a bit longer. <laughs> I hard. will. I'll go first. I made you go first last couple of times. Uh, I, I own these shares again. My apologies. But it's a business I know reasonably well. I used to work at Blackmore's before I joined the Motley Fool. And uh, Blackmore's is a business that, and I have to say, I, I, I'll put an asterisk against it now, not because I expect it to be any worse, but they've changed CEOs a couple of times since I was there. Uh, Marcus Blackmore, the son of the founder, is no longer involved on the board or as an executive. Um, so things may change. This is the other thing you've got to be careful of these things that you kind of assume that change over time. Uh, but they took a really, really, really significant interest, and you might expect it given what the, they do as a, as a business. Um, in in their employees, in the environment, they they, they were super early on um, in designing an office building that was mostly naturally lit, had indoor gardens that were planted around the place to try and look after the, the health and welfare of their teams. They had early environmental sustainability for both the company and its suppliers. Um, they've always tried to be open with, with customers and with shareholders about what was going on, how it was being done. They have a clear higher purpose. Uh, I know some people aren't a fan of naturopathy and, and, and naturopathic products, which is completely fair Guilty. enough. I'm, I'm kind of on the uh, on the fence myself, but conceptually, they 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 can I tell you, there are businesses who are out there saying, "Hey, let's take advantage of this group of, of true believers and make a fortune for them." Uh, Blackmore are the Blackmore's are the true believers, uh, and they it's a business that genuinely says, "You know what? We are out there every day trying to help people, and they recruit that way, they train that way." Um, so, you know, again, if, no matter how well or badly they get it right or wrong, uh, Blackmore's is a business that absolutely epitomises the four tenets of conscious capitalism for mine. Mm. I can't think of an example. I'm scrolling through the ASX three hundred. <laughs> can't find one. I do get I do get a little bit cynical, though, because a lot of companies like to sort of... That's the problem. Pr- promote these ideas yeah. that look, how, look what we're doing and we do this and we do that. And it's just, I find it's, it's a lot the whole of whole ESG, CS, compensation responsibility reports, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've often, uh, while, you, while you think, made a quick, a quick tangent anecdote, I've often thought that about Warren Buffett. You know, there are, Buffett has made such a great name for himself and 
plenty of people try and copy Buffett's style and approach and shareholder letters. And it's one of those things where if they're genuine, it's like, this is a really good thing to do. Mm. If you're not genuine and you're thinking, how can I get a whole lot of loyal shareholders who think that who, who want to be loyal to me because I'm espousing these values. If you want to be super cynical, you would you would be the, the, the bastard you want to be down deep and you would still talk like Warren Buffett. Mm. And so it's almost one of those things of like, you know, when you see the example, it's like, just because they talk that way, there's some companies who do something similar on the ASX and a couple in the US who try and model themselves after Berkshire without having the, I'll just say scruples or, or at least uh, abilities of just Warren Buffett service. himself. Well, mm. And, and worse, right? Not, not, some, sometimes I'm pretty sure it's kind of a bit of a smokescreen. It's like, you know, if I do this stuff, people will love me because I want to be the next X, Y, Z. It's the easiest way to fool people, right? It's to, just to be seen as the next Messiah. Uh, you just copy some of the stuff and all of a sudden you are, you know, the true believers jump on board as well. You see a lot with um, fossil fuel companies in Australia. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. they say, hey, we're investing in, in you know, green yeah, hydrogen yeah, or yeah, whatever. And yeah. it's like, dude, it's, it's literally like half a percent of your expenditure. <laughs> It fills out a brochure. You're not serious yeah. about it. It's a total yeah. PR exercise yeah, and it's yeah, so yeah. transparent. Um, so, yeah. Totally. I, you know, plant some trees. Is that a good thing? Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. Is it offset <laughs> everything else you're doing? Not even close and Alleg- you know it. Allegedly. Allegedly. No, allegedly. I'll put it out there. I'll, I'll fight that one in court. That's Paige, P-A-G-E, <laughs> who apparently has a budget for QCs, which is nice. So there you go. Because um, you got a budget for that, mate. Facts are um, facts. <laughs> any, any companies come to mind? I can't, mate. I can't. It, it, it's really this is this is one of the things that's really hard because we talk about culture a lot and being super important. Yeah. You don't really yeah. know until you're on the inside. That's also true. Um, you know what I, I do? Um, I I come across investors a lot who love using Glassdoor as one I'm, of their research. I'm tools. agnostic on that. What are your What's your thought? Yeah, I'm agnostic too. So okay. for those that don't know, um, Glassdoor is a is a review site for employees. So you can, you know, say I work here and I think the, mm. I hate it. There's horrible culture. <laughs> or the I bo- love the it. Boss of, the boss of the knucklehead. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The, the, so the, the, tru- the, tru- cereal food. There you go. the trouble with it is, is that it's like with reviews, you're more likely yeah. to give a bad review than you are a good review. Yeah. And it's it's the, dis- it's the disgruntled employee that's going to be fired <laughs> up to jump on and create that's an right. account and just like lay that's into right. their boss because right. they couldn't stand them. That's right. And the hard thing about it is is that even if you find the best uh, mm. sort of ethically or, yeah. or, or culturally focused company, you, you're always going to get exceptions to the rule. So when you jump onto these sites, if you're looking for someone who's going to say that, oh, the culture is rotten and they treat their staff horribly, you'll find it. You'll find evidence yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. Now- you know, they're, 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 sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. And if, you know, if one person says something, it's like maybe that's an, that's an anomaly. If, if 50 people are saying all the same thing, yeah, well, maybe yeah. there's something there. So I'm not saying it's useless. Yeah. I'm just saying you have to be careful with that kind of stuff because <laughs> yeah. if, you look for, if you look for evidence of a poor culture, you'll, you'll find it. Um, so it's, it's, it's something to be mindful of. Jared also yeah, I, used to a go. I was just going to say in terms of example, I, I'm just I'm drawing a, a, a total blank. Sorry. Um, speaking of that uh, glass door stuff, I used to work for an organisation which will remain nameless. I work for enough of them that I don't have to answer it. You know those great places to work surveys? Mm-hmm. So this particular company, I'm sure that everyone does it, by the way, which is why I'm not, 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 not shy in sharing it. This particular company would rev the staff up, say, hey, everyone, we want to be the best place to work, so go and vote and tell everyone how great it is to work here. <laughs> and it was kind of – and the worst part about that was everyone absolutely bought into it. Yeah, yeah, let's be – and then when it, was, when it happened, it was like, yeah, hey, we won. And it was kind of this idea of like it was, you know, it was it ended up being what it was supposed to be was, hey, if you like it, tell us. If you don't like it, tell us. We'd love to know realistically it was a good place to work. 
they turned it into this popularity contest where they made the staff want to win so badly that when they did win or they came second or third or fifth or whatever it was, um, it was like, yeah, we did it, we did it. And it was kind of this whole idea of like they, they managed to get the staff to, I won't say lie because it wasn't a terrible place to work, but basically made it the staff's own job to be popular and they turned this you know qualitative assessment into a popularity contest, mm. which was just the most remarkable screwing with people's heads and the whole idea of the whole thing. And it wasn't even that it was you know objectively, they didn't measure it. They just asked people what they thought. And we all want to think if, if you, you want to enjoy your work, you want your boss, your, your workplace to be number one. These people, it was a sales and marketing organization. So these people are used to having market share, wins and losses and, and successes and whatever. So you rev up the sales and marketing team and say, yeah, everyone go and vote for us. Mm-hmm. And they do. And it's, just, it's a, one of those weird weird things where it gets completely perversely uh, messed around. But yeah, that was, um, you got to be a little bit careful. That's why I don't like Glassdoor. As you say, mate, access to grind or even just, even just personality differences. Mm. Another company I worked at in the past, again, I won't name, uh, I didn't like the way the CEO was running the business. And subsequently, I think that was probably the right assessment. In the meantime, the value creation was enormous. And so sometimes you could also be too close to these things. And mm. so, you know, does the assessment of the self-entitled person who gets on Glassdoor and says, I didn't get free caviar on Friday afternoons <laughs> and therefore it's a one-star business, or the guy who says... Ah, oh, the boss really, really, really stinks. But I really like my coworker, so it's four and a half stars. Yeah, you know, which one of those is more useful? Well, neither. Yeah. Which one is the least useful? Neither. Uh, maybe it's some critical mass. It's worth it, as you say, but I'm not sure. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, let's move on to. A, a big one that's become a bigger, bigger deal in the last... I haven't heard it as much in the last few years, actually, funnily enough. Uh, maybe it's a COVID thing. Maybe just people are moving on. Total addressable market. <laughs> TAM. This is TAM. This is the idea that goes with growth a little bit, right? The bigger the market you can possibly get into, the sheer greater the size of your growth potential. Mm. And it makes perfect sense, right? If, if I'm selling... Uh, you know, left-handed gloves for people with three fingers, I'm probably not going to... There's not not many people in that market. There might be a few, there might be half a dozen, there might even be I don't know, 400 across the world, right? Is it going to be a big market? Probably not. If I'm selling uh, water, uh, who doesn't drink water? Now, again, we get back to bottled water and stuff. I, I couldn't think of a good example. It was super universal. It wasn't actually universally free, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who, is, who is the market for hydration? Well, seven billion of us. Okay, cool. So the total addressable market for hydration products much, much bigger than left-handed gloves with three fingers. Uh, that can Tam is often used for those go-go companies who want to convince the investment public that they're the next best thing since sliced bread. Look how many people could possibly use our product, um, and then they took, of course turned into dollar values. Well, there's eighty-four quadrillion dollars being spent on uh, networking software for IT professionals in Russia. Really, is there? No, no. Mm. We'll say there is. Some some research house did the numbers and we think it's 84 quadrillion. Uh, but it's also real. T- stripping aside all, this, all that stuff, I mentioned Coca-Cola Amatil a couple of times this week and last week. The biggest mistake I made with that recommendation, I bought shares myself, was I got the great business right, but I got the growth runway wrong. There simply wasn't a market big enough in Australia to grow into. The market was massive, but they'd already saturated that market. The remaining addressable market wasn't big enough to justify the expectations I had for the business, I simply didn't take it into account, which is stupid in hindsight. I give myself a little bit of leeway. I, it was a, a older, very old recommendation now, actually. Uh, so maybe I'll learn a few things since. But that that lack of total addressable market opportunity was the biggest flaw in the investment case. So, mate, 
your thoughts on TAM if you've got any, but then generally what's a, what's a company that, that on the ASX that has a great, huge addressable market you think is an interesting concept as I a, think as a, a great business? When I'm looking at a business, I definitely want to know what the TAM is. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's called SAM, serviceable addressable market. That's the complicate, new one. Yeah. complicate things a little bit. Which, which not is the important, total. right? Because total addressable market, everyone who, everyone who has hydration products, okay, well, I'm going to, but I want to sell $85 bottles of water. Okay, well, that rules out 99% of the world's population who haven't got that much money, let alone would spend it on water. So now right. I'm down to a SAM of 100,000 people mm. from my 7 billion TAM, which is important. Yes, yes. So it's, I, I really want to know because I, w- I want to see what sort of the, the potential is there. But I also have to take it with a very, very large dose of salt huh. because just because it's there, it doesn't mean I'll be <laughs> successful. Right. You see this, it's pulled back a little bit, yeah. um, thankfully, but like every Aussie company that had a bit of excess moved into China. <laughs> because China's, you know, yep. soon to be yep. the world's largest economy. Um, it's 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 developing a a, a big middle class. It's just you know, the the, the, the yeah. TAM, the total addressable market is massive. It's billion plus people, you yep. know, and yet no, all, <laughs> very very few Australian companies have ever had any material success there. So it's sort of like, you know, if my mother-in-law had wheels, she'd be a bicycle kind of thing. It's just like, yes, if you sold to everyone in China, you'd make a fortune. Yes. But how likely yes. are you to do that? Correct. So I am I am sceptical of it a little bit, particularly when that becomes the main focus. So it's more a question yeah. of, yes, okay, I want to know what that is, but I also want to know where you sit in it now. I want to see who else is in the race. I want to see some evidence that you're actually capturing some of that TAM. Yep. Um, and and some evidence that you'll you'll be able to continue to sort of prosecute your strategy and continue to catch yeah. more and more and more. Um, so in and of itself, it's useless. But in context, it it, it can be quite valuable. Um, yeah. So can I, can uh, I very briefly, mate? Yeah. Just because just, I think it's I think that's a really really good point. And it's where I, just, I, I think you want to ignore everything the company says about Tam mm-hmm. and do it yourself. I think that, yeah. that for me, to, to your point, that's a really, really important one. Is like don't, don't, don't read the the front page of the glossy marketing presentation on PowerPoint on the ASX release where they say our market is eighty four quadrillion dollars. But think for yourself, is there? I mean, maybe they're right. It's probably eighty four quadrillion, but it might be a billion. That's probably enough. Yeah. Um, how big is the market genuinely? It's it's a question to ask yourself as an investor if you think about where a business can can go from here. Back to that growth, and you mentioned the point Andrew, of how long can that growth continue? That's mm. kind, Tam is kind of the answer, right? Or at least part of that part of that decision set. It puts me off a lot of the so-called blue chips. Yeah. So you think Telstra, think AGL, yep. think Woolies, think West Farm. I mean, these have all got some really wonderful th- characteristics about those businesses. But And, and the TAM is, is large, but they've kind of got what they're going to get, yeah. right? So it's just sort of like AGL can do whatever AGL does, but it's, it's going to have very – it's never going into Asia and then becoming the dominant player there or yeah. North America or it's, it's kind of done, you know? Yeah. So, so um, – I think uh, this is this is the pond I fish in a lot, actually. Very growth-oriented investors. So, a no random example would be Alcidian. They do software for hospitals, mm-hmm. and hospitals have been very, as a sector, very slow to adopt technology. The amount of you know hospitals that still use fax machines and pages and paper it's just it's insane for the year 2022 <laughs> so now <laughs> whether or not they're successful but That's they right. but their total addressable market is is literally every uh, hospital on the planet now yeah, you know, they're, they're not focusing on North America. They're only sort of well, only they're, they're focusing on the UK <laughs> and Australia at the, at the moment yeah. um, but but they have a they have a large addressable market. Envirosuite's mm-hmm. another one. They do do environmental monitoring software. Mm-hmm. So every single mine site, water plant, you know, airport, etc., is, is a potential 
client for that. Also in industries that are undergoing structural change, Catapult, business that's doing sport analytics. So every sort of, at least there's something like 10,000 elite sporting organizations are in the planet. And they've got something like 20% of that. It's a long way to sort of run there and they're five times bigger than their next competitor. So that's, <laughs> so there's, you know, um, I could go on and on and on and on, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but there's, they're all examples of businesses that have large addressable markets. And let me say this too, it's more about, it's, it's, it's the addressable market in, in relation to its existing sort of size. So maybe like Pointera is a good example uh, here. So they, they do geospatial um data storage again that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down <laughs> but it's an extraordinarily niche market you know yeah. you or i are never going to buy their product most consumers yeah, in yeah. the world are never even going to know it or need it or want it but but the niche is still very large relative to their current size i actually love niche so in the early days of in the early days of uh, the the internet revolution and that it was the big consumer markets that got stitched up quickly. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be able to compete against the likes of Google and, and Apple and the rest of it. Mm. But there's a lot of areas in software where they're in hyper niche areas, which is not worth the time for Google to go and compete in because even if they are successful, it's just not going to move the dial. Mm. So I, I, like, I like areas that – so when you sort of say, oh, the total addressable market is – well, well, let me put it this way. Let's say you and I have a business that we're trying to start and the total addressable market is, uh, is only $10 million, which is tiny in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But at the moment, we don't make any sales. So for us- <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That is, that is, that is fantastic. Dollar there is a upside, lot mate. of upside there. To feel, yeah, if we've, yeah. we have a good reason to feel as though we can capture a reasonable share, that, is, that, is, that, that sort of lays out the pathway for growth. Mm, mm, so it's, all, it's always got to be in context. I'd far rather that- than a company that has a, a, a $100 billion total addressable market but is very unlikely to sort of capture any meaningful sort of share of that or is already perhaps already so large that, you know, any gain, any incremental gains are going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. So, uh, Sydney, is that the one you're going to go for? I'm going to go with uh, a, a last minute entry, uh, okay. Somnomed. Oh, is these guys I do? Ages. Uh, have a look at it. It's interesting. Um, yeah. I own shares for disclosure nice. just recently. Um uh, speaking to the CEO this week, actually, on, with Strawman, so hopefully get a few more insights here. But these guys deal in the uh, field of sleep apnea, which is a huge problem and a growing problem. And, and the total addressable market is massive. It's like, <laughs> we, you know, every second person seems to sort of have sleep apnea. The moment you've got these uh, reverse airflow sort of machines, these big sort of face masks that you put on, very effective but very low adherence to it. These, these guys sort of solve the problem in a different way with a mouth guard. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I don't want to get into the, to, the, to the nuance of it, but it's a very large addressable market and it's a business at the moment which is, is relatively small. The market cap's like $150 million or something like that. So I'm going to go with that one. Very good, very good. Somnomed, okay. Um, mate, I, I, you've, you've done a wonderful job talking about TAM and I, I, this is not one I love. I do want to make sure there's enough growth runway left. Uh, the TAM itself in dollars is not super useful. As the water example is a great one, right? So you think about, mm. you know, could every, could every retailer in the country, if it sells stuff and can open a shop front and there's no regulatory impediment, then it could be everywhere and doing everything for everybody. You know, it's kind of like, you know, why, why can't Premier Investments ha, you know, have a, a total risk market that's 100 times the size? These are the guys behind Smiggle and Peter Alexander and Justine's. I mean, literally it's possible, right? Because if mm. you say, well, if they, if, they, if they moved to every country in the world, they could be this big. Mm. And so I, I, as much as I love it, you, you, you said the same thing yourself, mate. You're exactly right. It's a really, really difficult one for me. Um, 
to, to try and to try and really break back. I am going to though go with retail. I'm going to go with one a business that has at least plans to or reason to believe. This is a company called Lavisa. It's the costume jewelry mob. Um, oh yeah, not a recommendation like of mine, not mm. one I own. But it's a business that actually has started to make really really good inroads overseas. And so, while I don't have the dollar value of the addressable market, there is some sense that there is an exportable business model. That business model is gaining traction and they are getting growth and there's reason to believe they can continue to expand for a very long time to come. So I'm going to go that one. Um, there, as I said, there's millions you could go with, but just the idea that there is enough growth opportunity available for reasonably... And I like your Sam. Sam's better than Tam these days and I like the serviceable, but it's like, okay, but how much of that are you really going to get to? Now, that's mm. still too big and by a factor of probably one or two zeros, mm. but it does give you a much more reasonable sense than, you know, I'm selling bottled water, therefore my total addressable market is 7 billion people. It's like, well, thanks, genius, but, you know, <laughs> uh, everyone drinks water, so therefore, you know, the market's huge. Um, it's, it's a bit silly, but I'm going to go La Visa for that one. Mate, yeah. so we'll, we'll speed up this last couple because we're fast running out of time. Next one is... Capital expenditure. <laughs> and this goes to capital. Now, this is not necessarily just how well management does or doesn't do that because I'm going to get to that in a second, mate. Uh, so don't listen to that. This is just the requirement of a business to be able to run its business and or grow with or without capital expenditure. Now, this is a double-edged sword like so many of the others we've talked about. And probably the closest example is gross margin. A business with low capital expenditure needs means you don't have to raise much money to grow. If you're a software business and you can make a new bit of software, uh, you know what 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 extra, what extra capital do you need to employ to to grow your business. Well, mm-hmm. maybe you hire a couple more servers. That's arguably operating expenditure rather than capex. Capex being the really really big one-off cost you have to pay. These days, most things can be bought by the month effectively. Um, but if you're building cars, well, you've got to build a massive, great big factory, um, and that costs a lot of money. And it's not the world's most attractive ROI normally because you got to get, you know, the margin you can make just to pay off the factory need to be higher. And then you've got to try and get some money back for shareholders. So that's true. The flip side, of course, is the lower the capital expenditure requirements of a business, generally speaking, not exclusively, the less their competitive advantage. Mm. Right? Retail costs almost now. If I want to start a retail shop tomorrow, I could do that. I could start a cafe with probably, what, 25 grand worth of furniture and coffee machines? Mm. Um but so could every other person in the, in the country and I could have a cafe open up either side of me and across the road. Um, so is it is it low capital expenditure requirement? Absolutely. But does that mean there are low barriers to entry? Absolutely. So this is a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, mate, your thoughts on, on CapEx and an example of a business that has low capital expenditure requirements that makes it a great business? Yeah, so I, I, think, I, I, I think about CapEx a lot, actually, increasingly so. It, it, it sort of... I'll give you an anti-example, which is every mining company in the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this is that's, that's, that's a special one though, because that's the capital expenditure that never comes back, no matter what you do. Well, it, it does. It sort of, you know, um, let, let's say you and I we buy a plot of land in WA, and we figure out through doing a, a few drills that that um, you know there's a billion dollars mm-hmm. worth of gold under the ground. <laughs> that's great. Well, it's actually yeah. useless be- until yeah. I get it out and process it and then ship it, and. And to do that costs squillions and squillions and squillions of dollars. Uh. And then once I, once I do that and I start extracting it, well, then that, that mine becomes less and less value every, for every gram of gold I dig out mm-hmm. of it. So then, then I have to take that money to sort of find, first I've got to find the, the next sort of plot of land and then I've got to develop yeah. it and then I've got to spend all yeah. that money again. So it's, it's, it's the kind of business where capital, uh, capital expenditure is sort of an ongoing, <laughs> ever-present cost. That means it never gets in yeah. your pocket. 
A yes. good example of, of a favourable one might be Objective Corp. It's one of my, I, it's one of my big regrets <laughs> my investment career because <laughs> 10 years ago I was like, this is a great business. I should buy it. Oh, I'll just wait for it to come back a little bit. That's a stupid mistake. I don't know how many times I have to make it. You try and sort of penny-wise, pound-foolish kind of mistake. <laughs> but there's, there's yeah. a business who has just like, had really decent top-line growth in terms of the mm. revenues, mm. but they've been able to sort of grow with very very modest capital expenditure requirements, and as a result of that, the 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 profit growth has been far has far far exceeded the sales growth, and nice. and there's a heaps of what they call free cash flow. So with the amount of mm. money that's left over after you sort of paid for everything and made any nece- mm. necessary investments for the future, um, OCL is the code. Fantastic business, probably a bit expensive now <laughs> to, to double down on my earlier mistakes. Um, uh, but, yeah, a good, ex- a good example of a business that does that well. Nice on Objective Corp is the company. I, mate, I, I feel like, a bit like your, you know, uh, Julia Gillard-esque. I refuse to accept the premise of your question. Um, I, f- I find this one really difficult. I, I've said before in different contexts that even, even as much as people love software companies, and I do too, they're only – there's a price for every asset, right? And so, mm. you know, tech only outperforms for as long as people undervalue it in the first instance. Yep. As soon as the, as soon as that, and, and we may or may not be going through a period, by the way, where we've seen exactly that. The, the fact that, you know, people got too excited about it the last six months have been tough for tech companies because we've chosen to, as an investment community, I say we as the, the royal plural, right? Um, pay less for tech than we used to. And maybe that's because mm. we're wrong now. Maybe it's because we're wrong then. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's neither. Um, but, that idea of, you know, tech only outperforms for as long as the future is brighter than the present and sufficiently brighter that it means there's outperformance available. In other words, it's so cheap now relative to the future mm. that we're being offered a bargain. At some other point, the, the worm turns and arguably, again, value's back in vogue. Maybe value was the undervalued, you know, the, the high capital expenditure, low growth businesses that were trading for not much six months ago have been a really significant outperformer over the last six months. Now, again, maybe that's the exception. Maybe it's the rule. We'll, we'll find out. When it comes to that, CapEx, comes, that comes back to the valuation side of it, though. Well, but that's that's so that's what I don't necessarily. Yeah, I think that's I think you're exactly right. Actually, that that's you're spot on. So, I all things being equal, less capex is better than more capex. Mm. But you're not going to be able to find a car company with less capex and a car company with more capex, or a software company with less capex and, and more. Like it's 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 almost inherent in the business themselves, and it absolutely makes for a better shaped P and L. But as you say, it's the price that then determines how much you pay for those businesses. It's always better to make a dollar having mm. not had to spend a dollar up front mm. um, versus mining companies, as you say, which are just – that they are the absolute anti-example. Not only because it costs you a lot, because you literally leave all that expenditure behind when you, when you finish, right? At least a factory, you make a car, you make a couple of cars. Even if the factory stops being used, you can sell the land or you can sell the factory and someone else can buy it and use it for something else. Mines are literally this massive hole. And it's kind of this, you know, this invisible capital left there in the bottom of the hole as they walk away, um, mm. which is which is a, which is a fantastic. Example. Well, just I know we're running out of time, but it just yeah, we are. <laughs> none of these are black and white. So yes, I'm going to exactly. use Tesla as an example again. They just built a gigafactory. I love yeah. the term gigafactory. Yeah. They just built a gigafactory in Germany, so their capex is going to be much higher than what yeah. Ford's was. You yeah. Know. Um, uh, but is that so? You, you based on what we're saying, you'd say, oh well, that's Great. a bad Great. thing because Ford Great. Ford has already got factories. They yeah. they didn't. They're not building new ones so that there's an advantage. Yes. But it's not so much the money that you spend but the return that you get on that spend. I and, love that point. That's a really know, good point. I, I'll give you a, yep, go on. Oh, sorry, I was, I'll, I'll give you a local example yeah. from a few years ago. Um, 
two players in the pharmaceutical wholesale distribution business, mm. Australian pharmaceutical industries and Sigma, um, really competitively advantaged businesses in some ways. Mm. Uh, it was probably, geez, I'm probably having to go back six, seven years or so now, but but for a while their API spent a bunch of money improving its warehousing, its logistics, its enterprise software. It spent a fortune on CapEx. Mm-hmm. Sigma yeah. didn't spend anything. And so yeah. the, the the results of, of the former looked pretty ordinary. It's like they're spending <laughs> all of this yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. what happened? They finished that program. They're yeah. far more efficient business, um, uh, able to scale and hand motivate. And, then, and now and then it sort of all caught up with Sigma. This is what private equity does, right? We buy a business. Yep. Yep. We just stop all of our investment. Yeah, that's right. Fire a few people, that's you right. know, and we, we just hollow out the business. Now, these decisions don't reveal themselves for a few years down the track, um, <laughs> much yeah. like uh, our healthcare system potentially. Let's not go there. But, you know, there are things, <laughs> there are things that look really, really good in the short term but are absolutely yeah. the wrong thing. So just yeah. to flip it around yeah. a little bit, some, it, it, we're not saying that, <laughs> CapEx is bad. CapEx can be really, really good if you're getting a good yeah. return on that. It's yeah. it's more the point that, again, as you say, everything, all else being equal, <laughs> a business that can you can reasonably assume has much lower capital expenditure requirements over the long term, over across the cycle, is is better than one um, – Sorry, which way, which way did I go? The one that has less <laughs> CapEx is better than the one that has more CapEx. Yes. But the yes. more the, the smarter – statement is it's not so much about what you spend, but the return that you get on that. If I had a business that has an opportunity to generate a 30% return on every dollar that it invests, yeah, that's right. That's right. take it, stop paying me a dividend. In fact, yeah. take on a bunch of debt and raise some money from shareholders because I'm going to do so much better as opposed to a company that perhaps doesn't have to spend mm-hmm. a cent, but his operations are just going to get less and less profitable over time. So, you know. No, I completely agree. And that for mine is where I think the um, – the, the, your Tesla example is perfect because not only are they going to get more growth from that, but the change to the, the margins they make, the, the, the margins of the average Tesla are massively higher than the margins of the average Ford. Yep. And so you're right, you know, two, play, two players with the same CapEx, very different outcomes. But yep. as I said, this is not necessarily in isolation. We're not saying buy the company with less CapEx or more. We're just saying be, be careful about what that looks like. Um, in terms of CapEx, mate, for me, I'm going to go with Seek. Uh, mm. It's a business that... Mm. You know, not only does it not have to sell more versions of its software, the very idea of it being a marketplace, yes, it's got ongoing requirements. Um, we say software sales have have high margins, and they do, and they have low capex requirements, and they do. But Seek actually doesn't even necessarily another version of its software; it just says, "Hey, come to me when you're ready." Mm. Um, and so that makes it yes, there's some advertising and other stuff, and that's a whole different uh, topic and category. Uh, but Seek for me, just mm, tiny, tiny, tiny. CapEx requirements, tiny incremental CapEx requirements, uh, yeah. one of the best. Mate, um, let's go to a concept of optionality. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one that kind of has become, again, a bit cooler in recent years. It basically talks to, you know, if if you are – it's the generalist versus the specialist thing, mm. right? What else can you do with your business? What options do you have to grow your business? Take – and, again, I'll use Amazon because we might as well. I've disclosed it a million times. Let's keep going. Uh, Amazon was the world's biggest bookstore. And then it turned out they could go into selling other retail products. And then it turned out they could use their platform to offer marketplace services so other people could sell their products on Amazon. And then it turned out that all this downtime it had with its servers at night could be used to sell other people computing power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google's another example, the Google X Labs, right? The idea of like, hey, let's come up with some stuff. Let's create something 
Uh, now, we mentioned Google Plus last time, not great. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the Google Maps, right, the, the ability of, of these businesses to kind of just continue to reach out because they've built a, a brand or they've built a customer base or they've built a business that, um, frankly, a, you know, a, a profitable business with a strong balance sheet of super optionality, right? Uh, but it lets them move in different directions. Uh, Microsoft even is a great example, right? They kind of reinvented themselves. Office and Windows still remain super, super cool. They tried the Zoom. That was a terrible idea. They tried the Microsoft phone. That was a terrible idea. Then they tried Microsoft Cloud. And it's been a spectacular success for them. Mm. Uh, and so just having the opportunity to use that optionality, to throw a couple of O words at us, um, it just, you know, they, they can move in different directions, do different things compared to, again, I'll use the minor because it's easy. The guy that digs the holes, Kind of maybe you know the option is guys to go another hole, right? Mm. And maybe you can mm. move into an adjacent commodity, maybe adjacent mineral, maybe I guess. Mm. Um, again, not say gas and mining business are terrible. Just yes, that um, <laughs> you know the opportunity to move into different areas is 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 a really nice little. It's again a bit any fragile, right? It's like mm. if they never use the opportunity, then fine. If they use the opportunity to grow even further, then fine. Or if they have to pivot because something dies in their current business, they've got other legs of a strategy to to fall back on. Yes. So. What, Go on. Well, I'll give you. I'll give you yeah, a couple because another thing I really look forward to. I've, I've mentioned a few already, so mm. I'll, I'll go with them. So, Enviro Suite monitors nice. sound, odor, noise. Originally focused in the mining space, you know. So you, you need to know that kind of stuff for for when you're blasting and when you're doing operations ah, and yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Turns out that there's a myriad of industries that really need to understand environmental conditions and have regulatory mm -hmm. reporting requirements. And so actually we can pretty much take our product and plug in with a bit of, bit of uh, customization. We can, we can be relevant to this sector. Oh, actually we can be relevant yeah. to that sector as well. Yeah. Um, that's also the same for Point Terra. It started off with sort of more of a utility kind of focus and now it's got applications in defence because it turns out that if you send a drone over somewhere and map that <laughs> geospatially, that's really yeah. helpful for the, for the soldiers uh, in the field. Now it's more increasingly being used in metaverse applications potentially. So, so people mm. who want to, want to um, create models of the real world can import this and programmers can use it. Massive op optionality, love it. One that I'm fond of as well is another one called Ava Risk Group. So they do a range of things. But one of the things they do is they've worked out how to send light down a fiber optic cable and measure for perturbations in that. So you can detect if there's been a perimeter breach. And so it was originally sort of oh. used, you'd run it around a, a fence of, a, of a, mm, secure, mm. a secure facility. And if someone was trying to climb the fence or doing, it sort of set off an alarm, which is really cool. Actually, we can also use that on conveyor belts in mine sites. We can actually use that for pipelines. We can use that for data networks. We can now use that for smart cities. We, it's the same exact technology. It's just got massive, massive application. That's and cool. uh, and I suspect a lot of these companies will will go into certain areas which will ultimately fail for for various un, unforeseen reasons. Mm. But when they do, it's not like oh the the, the jigs up, you know. With oh that's it, <laughs> because oh we've got all of these other irons in the fire. Yeah. Now that's not necessarily to say that that it's it's therefore always good. Sometimes companies go too far too soon. Mm -hmm. Because they see that optionality, oh, we're going to go into that and we're going to go into this and they just spend and spend and spend and spend. Whereas you might argue that actually less is more here, guys. Maybe maybe you focus on this area first, do a little bit of other stuff, but but you 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 can be so busy trying to be everything to everyone that it, it completely backfires and you just become unsustainable. So there is a sweet spot in all of that. But I think the ones that I mentioned all have phenomenal, phenomenal optionality. Love it, mate. That's really, really cool. Which one do you want to go for? What can I put you Ava. on? Ava. Ava. 
I'm going to grab uh, a business that we've talked about plenty of times and our listeners will know very well. It's just Salt Pats. Mm. And I could have put West Farmers in. Uh, I could easily have put West Farmers in. Uh, West Farmers is a little more operational than Salt Pats in terms of its kind of core businesses. Uh, it's a conglomerate business that kind of owns most of most of their businesses, <laughs> so almost all of all almost all of their companies. Um, Salt Pats has some internal businesses. Uh, most of uh, the vast bulk though are listed uh, and or um, small enough that it doesn't matter. And for me, this is just simply a, if you back all this all the way back, optionality comes down to they are not in the anything business. They're in the business of investing, which has its own concentration risk. They could suck at that. If they suck at that, then everything else goes pear-shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not in the retail business. They're not in the pharmaceutical business. They're not in the telco business. They're not in the mining business. They're not in the brick business. They are in the investment business. And everything is for sale at the right price um, from the Solpats um, portfolio. And that's what we do as individual investors. But if you're looking for a business that is structured, it's, it's you know, again, if they stuff up the investing, there is a, there is a single critical point of failure, absolutely. Now, I would say not necessarily single, single, because there are directors and board members and uh, executives and other people involved. But if they screw up the investing bit, then yes, that's that's a, a massive potential critical weakness that you can't escape that. The person at the, the big chair, we'll talk about that in a second, uh, is always the most critical <laughs> decision or not. Uh, but their ability to allocate capital wherever the hell they want and take it from wherever the hell they want is a huge, huge opportunity. It gives a massive uh, optionality. Basically means they can make their own decisions as to where they want to be, what they want to invest in, how they want to do it. Uh, they can move in and out of cash, bonds if they want to. They don't tend to, but um, they're basically an open, you know, it's carte blanche. They're, they're a listed cash box that happens to be invested in a whole lot of stuff. Uh, but that is, for mine, the ultimate optionality in what is not necessarily an operating business, but in a in a business uh, that is outside our own personal portfolios well, is kind of its, its own thing. Well, that's an advantage we all have too, right? Correct, correct. As, as direct private investors, we, we've got massive optional. We literally invest in any listed company anywhere in the world. Wow, what an advantage. Totally. And uh, yeah, we've had the conversation before about whether a business should expand or not in different areas based on that, but uh, you're yeah. exactly right. That gives, that gives us the choice. Mate, let's go to management. Uh, second last one. Now I'm going to ask you. I'm going to. I'm going to. We only have to the second last one because yeah, we're an hour and fifteen we, minutes. I know just, we've been going for saying. a long time. You've been talking a lot. Um, <laughs> we've, uh, we've 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 got so there, there's it's a two part one really because sixteen I'll, I'll give it away is capital allocation. So I'm going to let you leave the capital allocation bit to the end, mate, and we'll do this as a separate category. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about management generally. Now I just said. Um, for mine, management, you know, that, that, that's that's the critical point of failure in any business almost by definition, right? And not necessarily the person, the manager, but management generally, their ability to screw things up or do things really well beats anybody else doing anything else at the company. You know, mm-hmm. if they make a, a bad acquisition, if they launch a, a terrible new product, if they, you know, refuse to respond to competition, a la Kodak. Uh, you they know, destroy the very, culture very, very and everyone businesses. hates them. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. So massive, massive impact. Um, and so generally speaking, for mine, management is about longevity. It's about track record. Uh, controversially sometimes, or maybe not that much, but there are a lot of fanboys out there of individual managers. Mm. Uh, my general... View is that uh, managers get too much credit and also not enough credit, depending on the company, uh, because most of what most CEOs do when they take over a new job, if for a company that's been in place already, is most of the strategy, most of the people, most of the programs, most of the marketing activity, most of the whatevers were mm. put in place by the last guy or girl. Mm. And for the next two or three years, you are doing nothing but riding the bull that someone else should send out of the chute. 
when you get to that third, fourth, fifth year, yes, you also have some of your decisions become more meaningful in terms of its impact or their impact on the business performance. But you inherit a product range, you inherit people, you inherit marketing, you inherit a brand. Um, unless you literally throw the whole thing out and start again, as a CEO, your results are never as good as you get credit for, nor as bad as you get blamed for in the first few years. So longevity matters. I also have a view, mate, that too many entrepreneurs who start one business get credit for that one business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a hell of a thing. But was it their skill, tenacity? Was it their network? Was it their amazing decision-making skills? Or were they just in the right place at the right time? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, you know, the, the big telco rush that saw Amcom, Vocus, M2, TPG, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how many other I can think of, even Optus' um, arrival here. The, the, the time was right, right? Like, the, you know, mm-hmm. 3G, 4G, 5G, NBN, broadband, um, hyperspeeds, you know, go from dial-up to, to broadband internet and then from that to whatever. It, didn't, it wasn't that hard to be a telco CEO, right? You didn't have to do too much right um, to just ride that wave. Now, you had not fall off the board, so, you know, to talk to the metaphor. But if you kind of happen to turn up and, and be in the right industry at the right time, I'm not going to give you all that much mm. incremental credit, right? You didn't create something from scratch. You didn't, mm. you weren't that person or necessarily. Maybe you were, maybe you absolutely were. Mm. But when you've got that sort of overarching industry dynamic, very, very hard to look at an individual there and say, you are an outstanding genius, Yep. Thank God you had that idea and you made value from where there was nothing. You know, you, you, you're the alchemist. Um, it's very, very, you're probably just the gold miner that happened to go down and join the other four blokes at the, you know, with, with gold pans at the river and go, hey, look what I found, I'm a genius. <laughs> so, well, maybe. Yeah. So uh, with that said, mate, that's my, that's my two bobs on management. Incredibly, incredibly important. Given too much credit, given too much blame, uh, probably in equal proportions depending on the person that they are. Uh, yep. Who's your? Who, who, what's, who is an example or watch company as an example of a great management, great management business? Um, I'm going to go with the Brown Brothers at ARB Corporation. Nice, good choice. So uh, these these guys, um, so you know, anyone who drives four wheel drives will know because they they do all the, the best accessories in the world. That's yes. there. They've been running it forever. I think they pay themselves a hundred grand a year or something like. I don't, maybe it's more than that, but you know, in the realm of CEO pay, they pay themselves mm. a pittance. Mm. They have huge alignment with with uh, a lot of shares, so lots and lots of skin in the game, and they've got a wonderful track record record of of, of brilliant um, uh, uh, capital expenditure mm. and mm. Uh, product development and just everything. Just the results sort of speak for themselves. So they they're yeah, an nice. outstanding. Um, uh, example, I think of quality management. I love that. I, your fault. I own shares in AOB for full disclosure because you <laughs> bloody mentioned it. Another disclosure. Um, yeah, I mate, I think I think the guys at ARB are sensational. Um, there are really good. I'm going to go with Dicker Data and David Dicker. Oh yeah, uh, he's, he's now ex-wife. Um, and even the management team there that are super long-term managers. Uh, just really, really care about the business. Doing a wonderful job. The track record speaks for itself. Uh, super uh, unimpressed with trying to play the dance and, and kind of impress. I love that. I love Isn't it great? that. Did you, um, David, like I saw him interviewed on yeah. on Ausbiz recently. He just could. I mean, he just had a dirty t shirt on. You know, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got a beard down to his <laughs> belly button. 
And like they ask all the usual analyst sort of questions. He's like, yeah, what? Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't, oh, that's a stupid question. You just, I'm just running my business. Exactly. I'm just yeah. like, I don't, I don't yeah. care. And like, <laughs> like, there's some, a lot, the majority of management mm. teams that go out of their way to speak to analysts and do the dance. And they spend more time trying to convince everyone of how great the business is rather than running it. <laughs> that's right. Where he's the opposite. He just doesn't yeah. give a stuff, you know, yeah. and, and the results are there. Like the business the are talking. Are Yep. Exactly, Matt. All right. So we are massively over time. Let's get to the last one. Capital allocation. I wish I hadn't, well, something had to be last. Um, this is so important because a bit like management, you can blow up a wonderful business with a bit terrible capital allocation. Uh, you can also make a business with great capital allocation. Yep. Uh, both are true, which is really frustrating. Uh, it's also, I've said before, mate, one of the things I think the problem with general, well, Someone's got to be the, someone's got to be in the big chair, right? Mm. Someone's got to be the CEO. Who do you put there? Do you put the person who understands the brand and marketing and the long-term future of the business? Yeah, absolutely. Or do you put the person who is there going to get the sales done, who knows the sales team, who knows the process, who can talk to customers, who can actually make sure you bring revenue in the door and you turn that into profit? Yes. Yes, absolutely you have that person. Or do you have the CFO who knows the books and knows the business and knows how to spend money well and make sure money's not wasted and do all those things properly? Yes. Yes you do. Except that's three people, not one. And then you've got the chief operations guy and in, in specialist industries, you've got chief technology officers or, or the mining engineers who know what they're doing or whatever else it is. Someone's got to be that chair. You've got to desperately hope that person is the coach of the team. Yeah, yeah they're going to be the decision maker, but you kind of don't want just any of them. Mm. The problem is capital allocation is so enormously important because when you've got both fund managers and investment bankers breathing down you saying, hey, issue some shares. Hey, do a share buyback. Hey, borrow this money. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. Do this These have massive impacts. Mm. Like I can't overstate how important this is, even for the most basic, normal, boring businesses. These are really, really consequential decisions. And we spend very little time talking about it. And frankly, I would argue most boards dramatically under hire for this category because you end up with the best operator, the best salesperson, the best marketer, the best IT person or whatever. Capital allocation is probably the single most important skill that a, that a CEO has or uses that isn't just coaching the team. Because those big calls, do we acquire this business? Yes or no? Do we do a share buyback? Yes or no? This is in the CEO's lap and and the board, to be fair. Um, huge, huge, huge importance. I, now, if they I, don't do any I, of this, it's fine. But if they do, it's important. I'd go further than that. I'd, I'd say the oh. CEO has two jobs, really. Yeah, go on. They, they set the culture yep. and they make the capital allocation decisions. Interesting. That's, that's what they do. Um uh, yeah. Okay. There's 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 other other things. But they're really they're really the main 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 things. You've, you've, you you right, right. you you can't do everything, right? Yes, so exactly. Your, your job is then to delegate that to teams that can focus on the specific initiatives mm-hmm. and the rest mm-hmm. of it. But yep. you're making those big calls. The board's signing off on all of that kind of stuff, of course. Yep. But but uh, that is your. The, the reality is is that that capital isn't infinite. You've only, I don't care whether you're Google or, or whether you're a $10 million nano cap stock on the right, ASX. Right. You've only yeah. got so many dollars to play around with. What do you do with that? Mm. Do you spend it all on R&D to try and develop the world's best product? Mm. Do you go and acquire another business? Do you buy back your shares? And once you do, once you make a decision, that it just the opportunity cost is, is potentially yeah. massive because yeah. now I can't do these other things. That's your, that's your job. And, mm-hmm. and when you notice people who are good at that, Man, so I mentioned Tony Walls before at Objective. Well, I mentioned Objective Corp. Tony Walls is the CEO, that, just a master of capital allocation. Mm. You know, they, they have managed to grow exceptionally well, all the while paying a dividend. 
yeah, buying right. back shares when the market was stupidly undervalued. So they just, you know, just master of it and it's mm-hmm. such a rare skill. So when you when you see people who are really good at that, you pay attention because because they're the, they're the big decisions that ultimately everything else after that is execution. Execution is important, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> but 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 you know uh, something. It's also that- really it's also really difficult to have allocation because you've got different you've got different people who want different things, and the CEO's job is not to be the iconoclastic screw you, I'm making all the decisions here. The CEO mm-hmm. works for the shareholders, so it's also a really difficult one, right? Like you made that point about objective. Now I would I would. On the surface, without knowing the company at all, completely disagree with you. Okay. You see, he's paid dividends all the while, and he's bought back shares sometimes, and the shares are cheap. Mm. Now, the, to your point about opportunity cost, no, that can't be the perfect solution by definition in isolation. Now, I'm agreeing with you in one part, by the way, but to, you know, or by definition, if you're going to be so good at capital allocation, keep the dividend money and then double down the buybacks when the shares are really cheap, mm. right? So there, there, there was some of that money is in air quotes wasted. Completely rationally, it's a bit like the, the personal financial advice conversation we have regularly, right? It's not possible to be to have been a, have been an excellent capital allocator and do both those things at the same time if you're in a vacuum with no other demands. Now, shareholders want dividends, right? And they want you to use the money well, mm-hmm. and they want you to buy back. So you've got to you've got to. Do, and this is the, I, I'm I have a lot of sympathy for sales. By the way, I'm, I'm being a little bit jestful about objective. I don't know the company at all, particularly well. I don't know the CEO at all from Adam. He walked past me in the street. I wouldn't know him, uh, but. I make that point only to say that it's a really, really difficult one because you know you've got you've got paymasters and you should because you you work for the shareholders. Mm. Um, not not to say that the buybacks were bad or that paying the dividend was was evidence of good management. Of course it was, but you know if you went if you went back in time and said which what should you have done at each one of those points, you'd say well don't pay dividend in those years to buy back extra shares or in those years pay for dividends or don't do anything keep the money because you can use it for an acquisition at some point or you know there's there's always something else you could or should or would do. And that's why capital allocation is really hard because we say we're long-term investors, we want X. And the fund manager calls says, mate, can you fix the share price by the end of the month, please? And the retiree says, I'd really like some more dividends, please. And it's like, well, hang on, I work for all three of you. Which, what, what should I do? Hmm. You know, and, and they are responsible, yes, to have a fiduciary duty to you know, focus on long-term value of the, of the company. That's why I don't bag people like Telstra too much when I wouldn't do that either. But the shareholder base is they own the company. You don't get to say to the shareholders, if you're managing the cafe, the boss says, hey, can you, I'm going to take some money out of the till. You don't say, no, you can't. Bugger off, I want to use that money. Mm-hmm. But it's my cafe, it's my money. I don't care, get stuffed. You're going, to, you're going to waste it on a new bloody Ferrari, aren't you, you idiot? I'm going to keep it. Mm-hmm. You don't have that choice, right? And so, yes, the CEO can absolutely make, have, has more leeway than that because there's a separation between the owners and the, and the managers. But there's something to that which makes it really, 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 really difficult. Oh, it's not easy. Yeah, which is why which is why exceptional capital allocators are so rare. Yeah, and well, because you have got to manage the shareholder base. Like you're you're managing up in the in the absolute ultimate way, right? You are literally it's, it's like the Jeff Bezos of the world who are, and, and the Warren Buffetts. Buffetts, I'm not going to pay you a dividend. Get stuffed. Yep. And people say, and almost every year he gets a shareholder petition saying we'd like a dividend, please. Mm. Now, ninety five percent of his ninety nine percent of his shareholders say, eh, it's okay. We trust Uncle Warren. You, you, whatever you want, Warren. Do you do your you do you? Uh, but some shareholders absolutely every year say, I'd like some money, please. Um, Amazon, same thing. Bezos says, if you're here for the next year, I don't want you. Yeah, but we're, we're managing this for the long term. The difference with those uh, examples is that those those people have been crystal clear from the get-go. Yes, this is what you're in for. And it's you know, buy shares, by the way. don't buy shares. I don't give a <laughs> yeah, stuff. that's right. But yeah. if you are buying shares, yeah. Yeah. you know, we're, we're, this, is how, this is how I'm going to run with it. 
Totally. When when you get people who are more just going to try and, again, be sort of everything to everyone and flip-flop basing on whatever's sort of the cool in sort of strategy, to, to, that's just, that is yeah. just a bad, bad, bad sign. So, exactly. yes, I get it. I You know, a lot of people would be upset if Telstra was to sort of manage things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But I would say a truly visionary CEO would come in and say, hey, listen, here's the plan. And I'm going to tell you why this is a good plan. And I'm going to communicate that in such a way that you're going to be thanking me that you're not that I'm not going to get as much of a dividend as I otherwise would have expected mm-hmm. because you, you've you've got a great plan you've articulated it well and I see the value of it now lots but of people fantasy are, world that CEO never gets the job no that's the board tragedy. says thanks Andrew uh, we'd like Andy Penn thank you yeah that's 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 the, that's the tragedy of it right right you know right. It, it it is it is and it's very hard to do but it's 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 why a a, a long st- serving um, uh, CEO who's been very clear on the strategy, the goals, the outcomes yeah. is, is, yeah. is, is something where big, big, it, it's more, it's a matter of just saying, look, just trust mm-hmm. me, right? You, mm-hmm. You're paying me the big bucks here to make these decisions. <laughs> yeah, I watched right. the big short again on the weekend. <laughs> Did you? That's actually, depressing. so a bit of a tangent, but, but Michael Burry was there saying, yeah. we've got a brilliant bet here. And we're going to make yeah. a fortune. Yeah. And everyone yes, was great, screaming yeah. to take their money out. He literally closed the fuss. You can't have your money. I'm so going no, to save it. you from yourself. Yeah, people, exactly. people tried to sue him. All go- he made them a fortune. Yeah, and they still hated him. They still hated him. <laughs> you know, and and it's just, and the, yeah. and he's sort of they're going. This yeah. was always the plan. Yeah. You, I had yeah. full autonomy. This this is what yeah, you bought right. into. That's right. That's right. You know, and it's it's crazy. People are crazy. Yeah. I don't know what to yeah. say. I, I just I, I feel as though, you know, if 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 you get the to a large extent. Businesses get the shareholders they deserve. That's absolutely So you, you make the point with Buffett. It's like, well, you know, 95% of people are, are happy not to get yeah. a dividend be, yeah. because he's been so consistent and clear for decades mm-hmm. that, that anyone who comes in there and goes, oh, I really feel outraged that he didn't pay a dividend. This is like, what were you thinking? <laughs> what, you what, exactly. what, what in your crazy head yeah. made you yeah. think that this was ever on the cards, you know? So, so that- Consistency matters and communication matters and clarity matters. Yeah. And that's that that's why the, the truly visionary CEOs are very rare. But but those that are consistent will attract a very, very loyal shareholder base that are happy that are happy to sort of to to, 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 to to hand over control because they know it's in their own interest. Mm. It's also the story of uh, of the SOP hats. Uh, or the, the forced demerge that was planned oh, yeah. was perpetual and Mark Carnegie from memory. Quite yeah, like Mark so. Carnegie, but in this case, I was on the other side of the argument from him. Uh, we should break up Brickworks and Solpats and unlock all these value, blah, blah, blah. And all the shells went, no, no, the Melders are looking after us. We're, we're cool. No, yeah. but it's going to unlock this. Just, no, just leave the hell alone. You know, it was one of those things where, yeah. and uh, that's one, uh, to your point, when you come in and buy shares in business and then you wonder why it won't change, mm. it's the old marriage thing, right? Don't marry someone expecting to change them. It's like they come in, they buy all this shares. Now we've got to change all this stuff. Well, yeah. Why? We're really happy with the way it's being run currently. Yeah, 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 but, the, yeah, but, yeah but no, just leave it. It's okay. You're the one that's wrong in that <laughs> scenario. Now, it's <laughs> even if you buy on, we say, well, we're going to do this and then they completely change. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you've got every every uh, right to be outraged because you were, Mate, led, you were led to a certain belief. We are miles over time, like so far over. This yeah. is the longest episode ever by a very long way. Yeah. Can you give me an example? Of a company with great capital allocation, I'm going to go Objective Corp again. Um, I'm oh, going to go Promedicus oh. again. Again, it's oh, just it's dear. in the numbers. So the gr- growth uh, yeah. while while managing the capital. So we're only investing in things that have. And any time that money has been invested in into new areas, it's just come back tenfold. So it's yeah. just hard to go past those examples. 
Yep. Uh, I'm going to do something similar. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, I would say Solpats. Um, they're an investment company, so kind of that's almost cheating because that's exactly their job, right? They, it's both cheating and then they get the opportunity to do exactly that. You don't have to hire for a mix of skills. Like just hire someone who's going to invest well. And up until relatively recently, Solpats had beaten the market over one, three, five, ten, and fifteen years. Uh, I'm a shareholder. Uh, you kind of go, okay, well, that's, you know, what, what else What else can I do? You know, <laughs> you've, you've kind of proven it. West Farm is also very good historically. Uh, tarnished their copybook with Coles. It wasn't a great uh, deal, believe it or not. Uh, very long time to roll out, kind of got lost in the noise. Not a great deal. Still like the company, still like the approach. Very sensible, normal, smart, sane people trying to do the right thing. Um, that's been very good for, for long periods of time. Um, TPG. And the old guys was a very good business run by very good capital allocators who just grew this business from nothing. That's often a good sign, right? If you if you have to use capital and you grow and you deliver great shareholder returns, that's a good combination of, of skills. Forced to choose, oh, I'm going to go back to corporate travel. Um, I'm sorry to do that. Um, their ability to have made, I'm going to say, yeah, a dozen or so acquisitions uh, over more than a dozen years. Um, roll-ups tend to suck, generally speaking, because they tend to be run badly. The acquisitions go badly. Culture falls apart. Um, the corporate traveler managed to pull this together and keep it going for such a long time, making smart, thoughtful acquisitions, paying good prices, keeping the culture good, keeping customers happy. Um, that's that's a pretty good sign. So it's not just mm. pure capital allocation. It's kind of you know running in, in the business, uh, rolling the business in together, all that kind of stuff. But they build a business that can do that, can make buy you know build large chunks. Roll them all together. Uh, as I said, the bought and the built bits uh, have, have gone really, really, really well. We'll see better post-pandemic if they can keep that growth going. So maybe there's an asterisk on this one. But I own the shares. I think they've done a spectacular job of capital allocation mm. over the last 15 or so years. Mm. Mate, I'm just going to stop because we have- Yeah, we've got to stop. This is crazy. crazy. No one's listening by now. It's just you, me, and the dog. Um, <laughs> Fools, thank you for spending some time with us. We hope this has been useful. We will come back to this. Um, at some point, we'll try and try and kind of somehow push it all together and, and work on some sort of, you know, how do you, how do you build Frankenstein's monster from all this stuff? Um, I don't know how we're going to do that yet. We'll work that one out. But in the meantime, <laughs> thanks, Andrew. Thanks, listeners. Fool on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.